Yeah, we've actually been in this series called Blessed for 11 weeks. So that's a very, very long time. Uh, I've realized, though, that because we're in this series, this is the most appropriate time for me to say this. Actually, every day is an appropriate time to say this. But because we're in this series and today's the last day, turn to your neighbor, tell them, you blessed. And turn to your other neighbor, tell them, I'm blessed too. Yes, every single one of us here are blessed. God is good, amen. You know, we are finishing up this series and we are finishing up Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where he was speaking to the believers at the time who were wondering what it would be like, what it would mean to follow Jesus. And we've been going through all of these different aspects of what a true follower of Jesus would look like, what a disciple of Jesus would look like, what could it be if people lived and loved like Jesus on this side of eternity here on earth. And the reason why it was important then to the disciples or those that were hearing this from Jesus was he was giving them an answer of what their role here on earth was supposed to be. They were supposed to be the example of who he was, who he is when he ascends and goes back to heaven. They were supposed to be the answer for the dark and the broken world that the disciples were in. And we are the present day disciples and we are still called to share that love, to share that light and to show this world no matter how fallen and broken it is, that there is hope in Jesus Christ. And it's how we live, what we exemplify in and through us, the, how, the way that we act, the way that we respond. All of those things matter. And that's why Jesus touched upon a lot of sensitive topics in the Sermon of the Mount. And that's why he ends with another kind of controversial topic or statement or parable or illustration. However you want to place it, this is what Jesus did constantly. Is he made people really have to look at the way that they were living, overlay it with the way of Jesus, and ask ourselves, ask themselves, are we truly living in a way where Jesus can be seen in through our life? Because yes, a blessed life, we're bringing heaven to earth. But right now, we're the ones here on earth. So it's our role and responsibility to allow people to see a glimpse of what heaven could be like if we truly are the people, the believers, and the lovers of Jesus that we say and claim to be. That's just who Jesus is. That's what he wants us to do. And tonight, the topic that we're going to be talking about is Jesus' last words in the Sermon of the Mount. And if it's the last things that he says, it's very, very important things. It's kind of like that last statement, that final say to just send them out to do great things. Or even just to wrestle with what those good things are and what that means for them. Like this is Jesus' words to the disciples. So important. And one of the illustrations that Jesus starts or ends things with is all of these things that I've been teaching you on the Sermon of the Mount, I got this to say. That that is the difficult path of life that you're called to take. It is the narrow gate. The narrow path. I think for all of us, we know that being a Christian and a Christ follower is hard. And that's okay to say that. Because even Jesus knew. He said it countless times in the, in the Gospels. All throughout the Bible. Following Jesus is hard. But the narrow gate and the narrow life leads to life and life abundantly. And that's how he ends his teaching on the Sermon of the Mount. Not just what's here on earth, but what's to come. Heaven eternity. How we live here matters because where we live after eternally here on earth matters as well. Amen. This is an important topic. So we're going to honor God and his word by opening in prayer. And as I always say, I hope the word of God comes alive, alive to every single one of us tonight. To English, Russell. I pray that the word of God would come alive to us personally and uniquely tonight. Amen. 
Let's pray. God, we thank you for who you are. A God that is present. A God that is with us. A God that wants to bring our life to abundance and fullness of joy and hope. God, we know that we live in a world that is so counter your way. But as you said then and as you want to make a statement today, following you is worth it. It might be harder. It might be more difficult. It might be the narrow gate and the narrow path. But on the other side of that path is life and it's eternal life. And our souls crave that eternal life. So no matter where we are in our faith this evening, no matter where we are on the journey of life that you have us, whether we're on the highest highs or the lowest of lows, Lord, I pray that your word would speak to us all in the same way, profoundly, life-giving, eternally. Lord, wake our souls up tonight, and may your word be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. Our main text tonight is out of Matthew 7, 13 to 27. We're going to break, break this down all throughout tonight's message. Um, and we're going to be reading it piece by piece and kind of looking at what that means for every single one of us. So we're going to start with point one in your notes. goes like this. A genuine commitment to follow him. Everyone say follow. A genuine commitment to follow him, even if it's more difficult. These are the characteristics that Jesus is going over as he closes a sermon on the mount. A genuine commitment to follow Jesus, even if it's more difficult. Verses 13 to 14. Enter the narrow gates, for the gates is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. That's a very straightforward statement. And when Jesus is saying the wide gate, what he is saying is the ways of the world, the ways of our flesh, and ultimately the way of sin and what sin does to our life. Big picture, we live in a fallen world. We've already touched upon that a little bit already. And we question and we question and we question why is the world the way that it is? Why are we seeing what we're, ex we're seeing, experiencing what we're experiencing? Is this how God had intended this world to be? And the answer is no. God created this world to be a place where we could be with him and he could be with us and we could live in the goodness and the perfection of who God is every single day. But then sin enters the world. Adam and Eve are disobedient to God and they turn away from him and they run from him in their sin. When at the end of all of it, Jesus or God still pursued them and went after them. But there's that disconnect. They fell so they want to run. And that's like many of us. We fall and we want to run from God, from Jesus. But he's pursuing us and wanting us to continue to try to live the narrow life of following Jesus. And I know that sounds hard. But when our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our souls are focused on the main thing, being the main thing, that's loving God and loving people, sharing the gospel and making disciples... Which means our lives become an example of that and how we live our lives matter. Yes, that can be very difficult, but at the end of it, as Jesus says, it leads to life. We are products of brokenness. I don't know if you've realized that. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But that is the wide road of sin and destruction. We've experienced that. We've also done that to other people. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. The narrow road. The narrow gate, enter in through that, because on the other side of that is life. Amen? I kind of share a story with you folks. I didn't ask my wife if I could. I'm sorry. But I am. 
One of the most singular moments of my life and in our marriage was the day that our daughter was born. And I had one job. Everyone say, one job. We can um, show that a little bit later, Katrina, sorry. We'll get back to that. That's Bella. We'll talk about her in a little bit. But I had one job. And my one job was to get my wife and myself and our baby while she was in the tummy and in the womb from Eva Beach all the way to the east side at Castle Medical Center. So for whatever reason, my wife's OB, Kapolei, seven minutes from our house, nice aside place right next to it, but they only delivered at Castle Medical Center. So as Chantel is getting closer and closer to the due date, I began to realize like this is getting more and more real. Like Bella's coming. Whether we're ready or not, she's coming and I have one job. Mom does everything. Dad's one thing, get to the hospital and get there safely. At that point, nothing else matters. No other gate is needed except the narrow gate of getting our baby delivered. And I remember it happened on October 4th, about 10 o'clock, where Chantel was saying, like, oh, I'm starting to feel contractions and all of that kind of stuff. And we had, like, some spicy food, like gas, you know, clearly. And we had a couple, like, you know, we thought we might be uh, delivering and she was experiencing contractions with Braxton Hicks. So that was a couple weeks ago. So we're like, okay, maybe this is just one of those, like, symptoms and this isn't going to happen. So I'm falling in and out of sleep while Chantel is in so much pain. And about 3 o'clock in the morning while I'm snoring, she's like, it's time. Bella's coming. And then I'm like, for real? <laughs> like, are you sure? Like, this is happening? So, of course, we get everything ready. We call our parents. We have to drop off our dog to my mom's house, like, who's in Waipahu. And then we still need to make it all the way to Castle. And I had, like, this, just side note, I tried playing worship music. And she's like, don't play the worship music. Just drive and get to the hospital. Like, it was pretty crazy. And we get to the hospital. And then the nurses, after the triage room, was like, your wife's nine centimeters dilated. Which some of you guys are like, oh, that's not that bad. But that basically means baby was coming one centimeter away. And we barely made it to Castle Medical Center on time before baby came. And Chantel's in all of this pain, the doctors and the nurses, like there's so much movement and chaos and just stuff going on in this narrow path for a baby to be born. I got to witness so much pain and discomfort that my wife was going through. She decided to get the epidural. It's a long needle, okay? And I remember just enduring all of that, just as a bystander, with one job, get there. We got there, baby came, and as we can put up on screen, on October 5th, 2021, <laughs> Bella was born. One job, Russ, get to the hospital. One job, mom. One job, nurses. One job, doctors. One job, everybody. Bring forth life. The most singular, most important thing that could happen in that whole journey of chaos that is pregnancy to delivery to baby being born, the outcome of that is life. And in a very, very similar way, this is what Jesus is saying. The path that we could live here on earth, you can have everything and anything, but that leads to destruction. Focus on me, following me, exemplifying me everywhere you go. The outcome of that is life. And not just life for us here on earth, but life in eternity 
life for the people that we share the gospel with, life for our family members, friends, loved ones, coworkers, and classmates that come to know him because we choose to walk in and through the narrow gate and the narrow path. This is what Jesus is speaking about. It's worth it. Following Christ, being a Christian, it's hard, but it's worth it. Turn to your neighbor, look them dead in the eye and say, it is worth it. It is worth it. Number two in your notes, a genuine commitment to live like Jesus, even if it's counter culture. Everyone say live. Jesus is saying that a characteristic of following him is a genuine commitment to live like him, even if it's counterculture. This is continuing in this uh, passage, chapter 7 from Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 15, verses 7, 15 to 20, goes like this. Jesus is saying, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from the thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. And them meaning those that would want to lead us away from following Jesus. Again, the world, the flesh, and Satan himself. I've talked about this a little bit throughout this series, but like our souls know what the difference is between good or bad. Like, no matter how you want to say you were formed or shaped, no matter what your experiences are, your story is, there is just something about how God has designed us, his characteristics, his nature, that this desire for goodness, this desire for who he is, to know our purpose, to know our meaning, to know why we have breath here on earth, why we have life, there is something in us that genuinely wants to know that everything is going to be okay and everything is going to be good. Like, it is embedded into us. And again, we live in a fallen world, so we begin to cope and maneuver and navigate through life and the pains of life, even from the youngest of ages, in the most negative kinds of ways. Just because we think that if I can just get by with that one hit or that one drink or that one relationship or that one new car or that one promotion or this or that or whatever, maybe my life would be good, would have meaning would have purpose. And we talked about how all of those temporary things can't answer the questions in our soul that is after what is eternal and infinite. There is a desire for goodness in all of us. And Jesus is saying, look at the ways of the world. Look at the fruit that the world is producing. It is not good. Even back then, they were dealing with Racial tensions and slavery and judgment and condemnation. Like there was all of these people outcasted in the times of Jesus from society because society deemed them unlovable, untouchable, unneeded, and unnecessary. That's wrong. We are made in the image of God. There is hope yet for them, just as like there's hope for us. 
So when Jesus comes and he enters the picture and he begins to tell all of these people, you can look at my life and see the way that I am compassionate, the way that I am giving, the way that I am loving, the way that I am graceful, the way that I interact with the people that all of you people think that I shouldn't be talking to, this is how we're called to live. To extend the hand to someone that was deemed an outcast, unlovable, unnecessary, unwanted. And if we were all honest with ourselves, we all felt that and experienced that before Jesus. Our lives had bad fruit. We coped in negative, broken ways. And this whole journey of faith is understanding that at the end of the day, we just want what is good. And what is good is Jesus. And following Jesus, repenting of our sins, turning from these things can actually lead to a life that produces good fruits, good things, good marriages, good relationships, good mental and emotional health. Like these are the outcomes of following Jesus. Eternal life, yes, that's the best thing. Being forgiven of our sins, that's it, okay? But that's still, or that doesn't mean we can't experience God's breakthrough and freedom on this side of eternity, Many of our lives are, like, we can actually share, man, like, my life before Jesus, bad fruit. With Jesus, man, things are different. It's not easy. It's not perfect. But it's different in the best of ways. That's why we come to church. We acknowledge the fact that we are fallen and broken. But, man, with this God out there in heaven who sent his son Jesus, life is different and I've come alive. And it's so, so good. We need to choose to turn from the ways of the world. You know, like, it's talking about false prophets in the, in the Gospels. And, you know, and Jesus is talking about false prophets. And we're like, oh, that sounds so holy. I got to look for a false prophet and not follow them. What do they look like, you know? We experience false prophets all the time. Social media, what we look at on Instagram, who we interact with in our day-to-day -day life, the things that we digest and consume in our eyes, our ears, our mouths, like just the way that we live, we are digesting, viewing, and living like false prophets are directing our life. It's true. And I'm not trying to be condemning. That's every single one of us. But look at the ways of the world and the ways of Jesus. It's vastly different. So when Jesus is saying false prophets in 2023, know what pro false prophets look like. It's not just some crazy person with crazy hair, Blah, you know, like, it's not just that. It's all of these lies and deception hidden in the ways of the world that we're called to love and change, but not conform and be like. Amen. Share this awesome uh, testimony with you folks. Uh, yesterday, uh, my small group and my wife's small group got to celebrate uh, two members. They're a married couple getting water baptized. Their names are Janelle and Kristen. We have a photo up on screen of that. It's coming. We make, like, just make some noise for God on that. It's powerful. And it's amazing. This was at White Plains. I mean, like, my small group has all the husbands. Uh, my wife's small group has all the wives. And, like, this was just a moment that we got to celebrate together, like, their water baptism. And this was the first water baptism where a husband, that I've been a part of, that a husband and wife got water baptized together. And they were holding hands as they were water baptized. So they literally, individually, but also as a married couple, made that public declaration that their life before Jesus, the wide gates that they were living is now in the water, and they're coming up as individuals and a married couple with that just desire to love God for the rest of their life and love each other. It was powerful, amazing. You look at this picture, you're like, oh, good-looking Filipino couple up from Eva. Like, that's awesome. God's good. But here's what I took away from that, and this is stuff that we know from small group. If you're not in a small group, get into one so good, so important and life-giving. 
But as they were sharing their story of why they decided to get water baptized to everyone in our small group, they also invited some friends and family members and coworkers that they were reaching. They talked about the good stuff later, how much God has changed their life and all of that kind of great things that we're talking about. But for like the first like 80% of what they were recounting of why they chose to get water baptized and make that commitment as individuals and a married couple to honor God for the rest of their life and that public declaration of getting water baptized, the first 80% of it was because all of the bad fruits that they thought would give meaning and purpose in their life that they chased after as individuals and also as a married couple. They are highly successful people. They have done a lot with their life and they're just barely 30 years old. You look at their life from the outside, their marriage, what they have, what they do for their profession, the kind of relationships and friendships and family that they have, and you would think that they had it all. But just a few months, less than a year ago, they were on the verge of seeing the bad fruits of chasing after the things of this world because of false prophets like money, fame, notoriety, promotion, like all of these things that we think are good and give us meaning and purpose. They were chasing after these things and it was destroying them as individuals and it almost destroyed their marriage. One day maybe they'll be able to come up and share. If you see them, just ask like, whoa, what happened with you guys that one time before you got baptized? Like, let me just summarize it. They almost gave up on their marriage before coming into relationship with Christ because they chased after the bad fruits of this world thinking that it would answer the questions in their soul that they are desiring to be answered. That can only come from Jesus. That can only come from following him and seeing your life that was like thistles and empty branches now being birthed with new life and greenery and fruit. And of course, they talked about how grateful they were of God and small group and what Jesus has done in their marriage and all of that kind of stuff. But it's like it had to start with the bad news and the bad fruit, fruits and the bad things in order for the good thing named Jesus to truly mean something to them. And we celebrated that water baptism. We got all soaked. I didn't bring a change of clothes. I was wet for the next 45 minutes. It was awesome. But again, going back to Jesus' teachings, they knew what it was like as individuals and a married couple to chase after the things of the world. And it almost, almost led them to destruction. Oh, but the good news of Jesus and the grace that he gave them and the way that they were able to learn to love each other past their differences, their mistakes, their wrongdoings, their sin, all of that paled in comparison to the opportunity to forgive and extend grace just as Jesus extended and gave grace to them. Wherever you are in your walk with God, wherever you are in your journey of faith, whatever things you may be wrestling with or struggling with, know that we have a Jesus that wants to be personal in those areas, meet you in the dark valleys, meet you in the dark places so that his everlasting light can breathe hope upon those dark situations. But again, it has to go back so what do we see in our lives as fruit? Is it good? Is it bad? If it's good, keep on going. Follow Jesus. If it's not how it should be, take a time, pause, reflect. Like, am I giving this area to God? Because if it's producing bad fruit, it's probably not on the vine that is Jesus. Amen? The bad news of the wide gate only points us to the good news of the narrow one, because we meet Jesus in both. Amen? Where are we tonight? 
Last, oh, not last point. Third point in your notes. Another characteristic of a life following Jesus is a genuine commitment to have the same heart. Everyone say heart. The same heart as him, even if it requires sacrifice. Continuing on with verses 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, Jesus says, I have never known you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And I know that we can read a passage like this and be like, is this really how he's going to end this? Like, that's like, we're just talking about relationship with Jesus. And here Jesus is, like, telling them, like, I might not know you when you come to eternity. So watch out how you live here on earth. Like, it's almost like, like, what is Jesus really trying to say? And you can take it for face value and saying, like, at the end of the day, we can do good things here on earth. And Jesus still might not know us. And then what's the whole point of following Jesus? But again, big picture of what this passage is trying to say. The big picture of what Jesus is trying to articulate to the disciples of that time and us today. Is if we do the right things with the wrong heart and the wrong motives, there's still wrong things. If we do the things that Christians and Christ followers do without the love of Jesus as the motive. The good fruits of who Jesus is being displayed in and through our life then we've missed the whole point of why we do what we do. That's heavy. But Jesus thought it was the most loving thing that he could tell his disciples, even after all of these things that I taught you. Blessed series at Proside Church. Series number one all the way to 10 and then 11, right? Week 11. All of these things I told you in the first 10 weeks. If you do any of that with the wrong heart and the wrong motives, different or separate from just the fact that you have the opportunity to love God and love people in the process of living like Jesus, we have forgotten the point of why. So he's telling the disciples, it's not just what we do that matters as Christ's followers. It's why we do it. It's why we do it. And the only reason why we choose to live in such a way where God's love can truly, authentically, genuinely be seen in and through our life is because we are truly grateful and thankful for the grace that was given to us when we didn't deserve it, but was given in full through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Like, it's, that's the power of our testimony. Like, I've been a Christian for like 19 years. And there have been so many times in those 19 where I'm like highest of highs. I'm like, I love Jesus and I just want to like follow him forever and like read my Bible and go to Starbucks and post a scripture on Instagram while drinking Starbucks. You know, like I've had so many of those moments, okay. And there's not bad moments. So if you did that today, great. Awesome. But I can do all of those things with the wrong heart and wrong motive and forget the whole point of why I did it. To give glory and honor to Jesus so Jesus tells us a very sobering thought. If we live here on earth just doing the Christian things out of religion and miss the point of why we do the relational things as Christians because of love and grace, then we need to check our heart and motives. 
And as long as we have breath and life here on earth, there is an opportunity for us to check our motives, check our heart. In the book of Psalms, it says, search my heart, O God. So it's not a condemning statement that Jesus is saying in this moment. It's an illumination kind of moment. Do the right things with the right heart and the right motives, and we can only get there if we remember where Jesus found us, how he transformed and changed our life, the good fruits that he's done, and the eternal hope that he's breathed upon our dead bones and desperate for air lungs. Amen? I want to show a photo. I've, like, periodically shown this photo of myself, and every time I cringe, I want to show this photo, and then we're going to immediately take it off. On. Five seconds. One, two, three, four, five. Off. Let me try this again. On. One, two, three, four, five. Off. That's cool. Anyway, just want to do that. So you saw that photo. Actually, we can just leave it on, Katrina. Sorry about that. Leave it on, leave it on, leave it on. Mm. Okay. If you're wondering what the white stuff was on my mouth, it was milk. I just had cereal. This was my freshman year in high school. Look at this photo. And this was my life going towards a wide path, on my way to destruction, bearing no good fruit, because I was suffering in a world where the brokenness of what I was experiencing and going through finally caught up with me as a freshman in high school. And you can look at those eyes and you can say like, man, you must have been so sleepy, very tired, and it wasn't because I didn't get enough sleep. It was because I wanted to give up on life. Like, that, like this is what this photo means to me when I look. I, can't, I actually can't even look at it right now. It's, it's crazy. This was my life going down the wide path that would lead to destruction because my grandfather had passed away. And I loved my grandfather so much. My grandparents were like that one foundational, like always good, always true, always awesome moments. Like, ah, that's who they were to me. And when my grandfather died of cancer, it rocked my world as a 15-year-old because why is this world the way that it is? Like that, like the best person in my life would have to suffer like that and his life would have to end like that? Is that really the God that loves me? Is that really the God that has a plan and purpose for me? Is that the God that I go to church and sing songs about and hear about and like pray a prayer towards? Like, right, I was like that young boy that just wanted to follow God, did a lot of the right things, had the wrong motives for it. And when the world collided with where I was in my faith with the hardships and trials, I wanted to give up on life and God and that's how I looked like. There was no life in my eyes because there was no life in my life. But when I came into relationship with Jesus, like, I mean, you can look. I'm still a pretty serious and emotional person, but I can laugh. Someone told me 19 years ago, when you're 34, your life will look like this. I feel like, dude, you have no clue who you're talking to. You're lying. But our God is so faithful and so good. And he grabbed the hands and the heart of a 15-year-old going down the wide gates to a broken 
path that would lead to destruction, and he loved me enough to pick me up from that path, lead me through the, nar- the narrow one with love and grace. And looking back on my life, it was worth it every single day. Is life perfect and easy? No. Is it worth living? Absolutely. Why? Because I have a purpose here on earth that's way beyond just myself. It's so that one more person may know about this eternal hope and eternal life and the narrow path that might seem difficult but leads to life. And it's my role and responsibility to share because there's a lot of people living and being just like that. Just like that. And for many people, even worse. The reason why we can do all of the good things that we do as Christians, read our word, pray, share our faith, come to church, serve at church, sing at church, church, church. You know, like the reason why we live as the believers of Christ here today in a building, but more importantly, out there in the world, is because that after all the dust settles, there's just a grateful and thankful heart that God saved me through his son, Jesus. And I know that at the end of life here on earth, no matter what God does or doesn't do, there is a promise of eternity that my soul is craving for, that I will meet and have for the rest of my life in heaven. No matter where you are today, that is a gift that is given freely to know that there is this perfect place in heaven that we are called to be at, experience forever with God. But it's the narrow path that leads to it. So is that sacrifice worth it? And you can say whatever you want about God and Christians and the church and this and that. But just out of life experience for 19 years of mine, it is absolutely 100% with no question worth it. And I cannot wait for the next 19 years and beyond here on earth. And I hope we can all have life with that same kind of expectation. Amen. Because here's the reality. Life is hard, as we've said, and things might happen in this world and in our life. And not only is a narrow path something worth living for, but it's also something that's worth or actually gives us an anchor to the craziness that we might experience on earth. Last point in your notes goes like this characteristic of following Jesus here on earth is a genuine commitment to build our life. Everyone say life. Build our life on his foundation, even if the hardships don't end. Verses 24 to 27, as we bring things to a close tonight. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came. And the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. Everyone say, it did not fall. It did not fall. Because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall. Winds, rain, all of that. It's not a matter of if in our life. We will be hit by those things. It is just a matter of when. Amen? And that's just the reality. And Jesus is saying like, 
a wise man builds his house on the rock so that when all of these things beyond that man's control comes at this man's house, it stands. But a man that builds his house on sand, when these elements or things beyond their control happens, it falls and crumbles to the ground. And Jesus isn't just, like, we look at this passage and we're thinking like, oh, Jesus is talking about like our physical home or our life here on this side of eternity, here on earth. And he is, but he's not just talking about our life here on earth or our home here on earth. He's actually already beginning to allude to what heaven will be like. A place where nothing can take us off of the foundation of who Jesus Christ is. Nothing can separate us. Nothing beyond our control can rob us of the foundation that is Jesus Christ. Because that's what's coming. Eternity is coming. And a wise man that builds his house on earth on him is a wise man that knows, that knows, that knows that heaven is where his house will be forever. There's one thing that we will always meet here on earth after we're born. And that one thing is death. No matter how invincible we think we are, no matter how healthy you can be, no matter how many medications you can take, no matter how many Zumba classes you Zoom, no matter what you do, at the end of the day, we will all meet that moment where we know it's our time. The wise man that builds his life on the rock of Jesus knows that when they, that day comes, it's just death for a moment, and then it's life for eternity. And I want to share uh, something that happened very real in my life recently that I think just interesting how like, God aligned this message with just something that I'm personally walking through. Uh, two Fridays ago, one of my aunties had passed away. It happened out of nowhere. Well, her health was declining, um, so it was like inevitable. But the news came out of nowhere. And side note, I was like, trying to find a photo. You know, I had photos earlier for all these other points. Like, I was trying to find a photo of my auntie. I couldn't find one. Which is so interesting, right? Because we can take so many photos on our phones, and it's like the most important photos we can't find. I just had to share that. It has nothing to do with tonight's message, but that was just a felt experience I felt led to share. Well, my auntie passed away. And it was my favorite auntie. Like, this is my mom's oldest sister. She was 79 years old. Her name's Imelda Ramos, lives out in Vegas. And when I was growing up, it's like, she was just like that auntie that you just couldn't wait to see. She's just proud. I'm proud of you for doing well in school. I'm proud of you from coming home. I'm proud of you for being my nephew. I'm just proud, you know. So jolly, so awesome, so amazing. And um, yeah, last week, or two Fridays ago, she passed away. And I remember getting a call from my sister, and I was like, oh, dang, that sucks. And like in the moment, it's like your brain's trying to compute what your soul is feeling. And there was like a collision, like it's not connecting. And I don't know if it was because it was unexpected. I don't know if this was because it was late at night. I don't know what it was. But I just kind of went through the motions for the rest of my night, thinking like, oh, that sucks. And I miss my auntie but everything's how it always is. I'm gonna go to sleep. 
the next day was a Saturday. And again, you think that you're fine, and then you start getting all of these, like, text messages and conversations with family members and people just asking and talking to my mom and my sister and different cousins. And, and then I think, yeah, then it began to hit me, like, oh, my auntie's gone. Oh, she's not here. And, like, the emotions would come. And then they would go away. And then they would come. And they would go away because there's part of me that's like, there's eternal life. But there's part of me that's like, but this is still life, you know? And it wasn't until later that day at about 3 o'clock that like, I think it finally hit me that my auntie's gone. And I was talking to her daughter, my cousin. And I was looking, this, I was looking through my text messages and I sent my auntie four text messages over the course of four years, the last one being in 2021. And I don't know about what wind or rain could have happened that could have rocked me the same way that this passing rocked me that day. Like, what was I doing all these years, you know? Um, you guys are like, well, oh, that's heavy. It is. And I remember I was praying. God always meets me in prayer. And he wants to meet every single one of us in prayer too. And God kind of like illuminated or reminded me of this passage that I think like perfectly ties up like the, the, the Sermon on the Mount of Jesus that he gives. It's like the perfect end. Like the perspective that we all need of like why following Jesus is worth it and why entering in the narrow gates and following him on the narrow path and living life that bears fruit so that others can witness how good God is in and through us. Like it just summarizes to me why it's worth it. Revelation 21, 1 to 5. Can we do this? Can we close our eyes? As I read this passage, just whatever God spoke to you this evening, whatever God has been speaking to you in this season of life, or maybe just within this series, whether you've experienced a loss recently, or maybe you haven't lost anyone, whether it's easy for you to follow Jesus or whether it's hard, whether you're in the highest of highs in your walk with God or you're in those dark valleys and dark moments, I pray that the word of God in Revelations would give perspective. And this word, this promise goes like this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And here's what God does. He will wipe 
every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. I'm going to read two more verses before we go into communion tonight. Again, out of Revelations. This is the count of us meeting God face to face when we pass here on earth. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. You can look up here. I called my cousin the next day after we initially talked. And I shared with her that passage. And this is when God, God just is God and he just ties everything together. And she's like, that is the exact passage that God placed on my heart to trust and hope in for my mom. <laughs> Sorry, I did that again. Makes a loud noise. Did you hear that though? In the moment of our mourning about what happened on a day on this side of eternity in a place that is temporary, our God, who calls us to live in such a way to posture our hearts for what's to come, gave two people the same verse about a promise that the narrow path leads to eternal life. And my auntie's not suffering anymore. She knew Jesus. She walked that narrow path. And if any of us are here wondering, asking Jesus, is it worth it? When the winds and the waves and the rain comes, and when death knocks at our heart and our life, we can confidently know that when we pass here on earth, he will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And the best thing about that is it is a promise that is true. Amen. It's true. It's worth following Jesus. On this side of eternity. For the eternity to come. Amen. We'll be receiving communion this evening. I believe you got it as you came in. Ushers are walking around if you need. You can kind of single uh, them out if you need a communion element this evening. But until then, can we all bow our heads and close our eyes? I know there's a lot of movement right now, a lot of things happening. But communion, it's like 
a reminder to us that the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus paved the way for our eternal life. This isn't a religious thing that we do. It is a reminder of the faith in Jesus we have the blessed life because of. So you can peel back the first layer. First layer represents the bread, or is the bread, which represents Jesus' body. This was the body that was beaten and brutalized, that was scorned and put through shame. But this was also the body that bore the weight of sin and willingly gave itself away to be the living sacrifice for our sins. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your body and all that endured for us. Your body was broken, but it was not defeated. We thank you for your hands and your feet, your eyes and your ears that showed us an example of how to live. And just as your as you came out of the grave, Lord, your promise is that we would as well. Thank you for your body. Let me partake of the bread. And after that, you can peel back the second layer, revealing the cup. And the cup represents Jesus' blood, which the Bible says covers a multitude of sins. In Isaiah, it says that our life of sin is just tattered and scarlet. But the grace of God that was shed on the cross takes the scarlet sin of our life and makes us as white as snow. So that God doesn't see our imperfections, he sees his son's perfection, amen. Lord, we thank you for your blood that was shed on the cross. We thank you for your grace that was given to us because of what you did. We thank you that it covers the multitude of sins that we have so that all your Father sees. is a beloved son and daughter. Thank you for your blood. You can drink uh, the cup, partake of the cup. Before we go into um, a few lines of this song, Everlasting Light, just close your head, or close your head, close your eyes. <laughs> Bow your head, sorry Jesus. Lord, center our hearts tonight. We're grateful and thankful. We worship you from a place of surrender. You gave it all. So help us to give you our all. In this moment of worship, but more importantly, really for the rest of our life, the narrow path is worth walking. Your son walked that path. He is trustworthy and true. And if that path leads through dark moments and dark times, we know on the other side of it, is an everlasting light here on earth and also in eternity to come. So as we stand, we remember all you did for us.
posture our hearts, a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving. In Jesus' name we all said, amen.